Good afternoon. Um, my name is Francine Stock. I'm delighted to be here to moderate this uh, Q&A with producer David Heyman, with Hugh Grant, with co-writer and also, also appears in the film, Simon Farnaby, and with director Paul King. So, first of all, Hugh, uh, musical theatre, was this, um, this was a route that you might have taken sometime? Um, well, I like to express myself through movement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always have. It's, uh, I think you're either that kind of animal or you're not. <laughs> Some people lose it, I think, in old age, but not me. <laughs> did, did the two of you always have Hugh in mind for this role? We did. We did, really, didn't we? We, we did. We called him Hugh Grant for a long time. <clears throat> yeah. A sophisticated level of uh, writing that we did. Yeah. Write the name of the actor we'd like to play the role. Yeah, and we go, and then Hugh Grant comes in, and he says, <laughs> um, and uh, we had to change it for a start because it was confusing because we had Hugh Bonneville, and people kept going, who do you mean? And then, and then we had to change it when we but were sending it out. But this is horrifying, really. <laughs> <laughs> We just thought you'd be funny. We didn't think you shared any of the characteristics, yeah, well. apart from <laughs> kind of her yeah. devastating good looks and the chiseled jaw. Um, the we rest thought... of it's all purely <laughs> coincidental. Yeah. We thought you were capable of portraying a vein. Yeah, one of them. It's been a very awkward process throughout. Plus, directing out all the dance of all the other scenes was pretty tough, wasn't it? Just this once more without dance in all of the other scenes. Your love of movement. You look utterly baffled. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but did, did Hugh also add, I mean, were there any additions to the script, for example? He, he was extraordinary. I mean, he is a total joy to work with. I would like, that's a very good question. I'd like to give an example, Please. which I, it sounds like it's very prepared. Which no, it isn't. It isn't. But um, the great thing about working with uh, uh, Hugh and, um, and funny people in general, which I've been very lucky to do throughout my, what some people damningly refer to as a career, but um, is, that, is that they just make your script much better. And there's a, there's a scene in the courtroom where, uh, which we sort of ended up writing quite late, where um, Phoenix gives evidence against Paddington and he's sort of doing him down. And we wrote this line uh, that the kind of, um, uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? And, and he goes, we wrote, solemnly I do. Uh, prisoners, no, no laughing matter, in the sort of Les Miserables joke. And then Hugh on take six goes, oh, I've got something I just might try. You go, okay. And then just goes, may my entrails be plucked forth and wound about my neck that I'd see. You go, that is the kind of improvisation you want to work with. Yeah. You go, tick, uh, don't need to watch the other takes of that. Do you think of that on the car on the way in, or was that a, was it on the moment, was it just in between on the takes? Moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I scribble things in the margin and then think, well, I have the courage to try them. And, uh, you know, it's lovely when people are open to it. I, I'm doing a thing at the moment, and I keep improvising brilliantly, <laughs> frankly. And uh, Stephen Frears says, that thing you said, don't say that again. <laughs> so, we like all the things you said, which is great. And it just yeah. sort of makes the character so much richer and, and sort of just fuller. And it's, it's, it feels like one of those films, it's a sort of real sort of maximalist uh, aesthetic all the way through. You know, sort of, it's really sort of... It's all in the detail, because it's not sort of... I mean, there is a train chase, which is obviously not a small scene, but for the most part, it's kind of scenes in shops and little things and pop-up books and, and, you know, jail cells and not these kind of huge, great big sort of Hollywood sort of feelings. So it's, I think it's a film that rewards all the little details and the things on the shelves and the things in the background. And, 
and really with all the performance, we're sort of trying to, there's quite a lot of characters, and, and we're sort of trying to sort of cram as much in as we can, and it was, it was a real joy to work with somebody who's very funny and uh, doesn't take it too seriously. And also, Hugh has a great sense of the joke, which is amazing, and not everyone always does. There was a great, something that really made me laugh on like one of the last days, I think we were doing some pickups, and I said, I can't even remember what the context was, but I said, oh, can you come in through this door, because then the reveal is better. I think it was coming through with the sword, and like there was a different door into the room, because it's a better reveal. And Hugh very generously went, yeah, yeah. You're lucky I don't give a fuck about character or motivation or any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Serve the joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. David, um, for a film like Paddington, well, a film like the film, Paddington, there's a real balance, isn't there, between, okay, Paddington himself, if we can move off Hugh just for a second, Paddington himself is... <laughs> Awkward. Oh. <laughs> I get my phone out. <laughs> decent, but not a sap. And it's sort of, he's, he's, he's kind of decent, but he can't be a sap. I mean, he can't Paddy. be... <laughs> Thank you, I thought about you. <laughs> and, and it's got to be British, but not twee. Hasn't it? All of these things. I mean, these are. I mean, is, I guess this is for all three of you, really. Well, all is of that you. normally a contradiction in terms? <laughs> British but not twee. No, but, it, but depictions of Britishness on a film can be twee. So, how do you guard against all these things? Um, I think hiring Paul King. I mean, really, one of the one of the, when 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 I met Paul first, one of the, one of the things that he had made that I really loved was the Mighty Boosh, Boosh which is wonderfully subversive. And it was really important for, for me and ultimately for Paul, I think, that the film not just be earnest. I mean, it's, it's a wonderfully, in, you know, in these cynical times, it's lovely to make a film that is as uncynical and generous spirited as this. But at the same time, to have moments that were appealing to adults as well as children and um, to appeal to all audiences and to not be too precious. Um, and Paul understood the spirit of Paddington, yet how to bring him very much into the 21st century, um, make him feel timeless, not hip, not dated, but have a timeless feel to him. And I think that <clears throat> you know, he and Simon working on the script were always aware of, of that. Neville had the most generous of, of, of humors and spirits, and I think infused that in every page. And in terms of writing for Paddington, I mean, do you, when you're writing for Paddington, do you do the Paddington voice? I mean, how does, how does it work? We take turns with the duffel coat. We do, yeah. A bit, a bit <laughs> yeah. And the other one's nude. Swap to allow us the maximum expression. And humour. Um, yeah, we do. Uh, Paul's pretty good at it. I mean, I, I usually, I, I do... Um, <laughs> You I do tend to do a else. lot of the voices, yeah. <laughs> I take great joy in doing all the voices, including Hugh Grant. <laughs> Rather good at it, I thought. <laughs> you were much better. Um, uh, but Paul's very good at Paddington. I think it's, we, you know, following on from what David said, you know, we have that, we'd work together on the bouche, which is strange, because people think it's very hip, but it's really just, you know, Morecambe and Wise in sort of fancy clothes, you know. Uh, <laughs> Noel's right there. <laughs> um, it's the goodies reboots. Yeah. The, <laughs> I never tried that simile before. <laughs> it's extremely hip. Um, no, yeah, exactly. And it's just, we just make, you know, make each other laugh. And that's, the, that's our, you know, um, um, that's sort of how we wrote the humorous bits, I guess. 
Yeah, and I think he's a sort of he's a nice character to write for because he's not sort of he's not a sort of conventionally flawed character. You know that you sort of. It gets quite tiresome sort of seeing those films where you meet somebody and go, God, if only I can kick this drinking problem, I might be able to solve the case. And you go, oh, it's that same shape a million times a year. And, and sort of Paddington doesn't really have flaws like that. So uh, I suppose sort of one of the challenges is finding the arc for him where he can sort of transform the world around him and learn something without it being too kind of uh, icky. You know? So, so I, I think that helps it not be too... Uh, a morality tale, you know, and, and so we sort of looked at that kind of Frank Capra model for that of the kind of the innocent hero who's not flawed, but whose who's belief in their own value system will be slowly challenged by kind of the, the big cynical world. And that was good. And um, Paddington's kind of James Stewart. Yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah. he is, yeah. Very much so. And, and also, there's a nice poetry to it. I mean, one of the things that we talked about when we first started eight years ago, whenever it was sort of thinking about Paddington films was to sort of, there'd been a sort of spate of not particularly great live action CG interaction movies where it was, there was a sort of phase of them and you never really believed that the character was existing in the world and you never, it always just looked like they were sort of drawn over the top so we sort of tried to look for this kind of stylized, one of the kind of first things we both talked about was going, let's bring the world to Paddington as much as Paddington to the world, because he's only ever going to feel so realistic as a talking animal that you don't see every day. So we started looking at kind of Jacques Demy and, uh, you know, Jeunet enormously, and kind of those sort of people who have brought Paris or French towns to a kind of poetical life, and sort of wondering if we could do the same to London, which hasn't always been done. You know, there's kind of, you see gritty London, and then you see sort of very sort of posh London, and you don't always sort of see magical fairy tale London. I think it's a great fairy tale city, you know, and it really rewards this sort of timeless feel that you can have the shard and a red telephone box and a medieval building all sort of in the same shot. And it's it's really nice to kind of build that aesthetic, which uh, you don't see every day about about London. So the first film had obviously left us in, in a very happy place with Paddington and the family and everything. So then you have to do kind of like the Dickensian thing of taking the home away from him. Yeah, it's sort of, <laughs> uh, and it was kind of one of those, uh, that that's again was one of those things, and it's sort of one of those, you know, it, it's sort of, there are so many blind alleys, and it's quite tricky, I think, when you're writing to sort of hold on to something and go, this is the one that's going to work. And, and that's really where the, the Frank Capra model came in, because we sort of didn't want to have... Windsor Gardens going to be destroyed by property developers or one of those things where you go, oh, yeah. God. Mm. Uh, and also, good, solve the housing crisis. So, uh, <laughs> the Browns lose their house, they can't afford the mortgage. You know. uh, so, but, so we, do that. but we did have this shot at the end of the first film where we, uh, where, where sort of Paddington's in a snowball fight with the rest of the family as this sort of image of happiness. And even when we were filming it, there's quite a big wide of the street and we were going, it's a shame there aren't more people there, you know, and it felt that he hasn't met the neighbours and he hasn't made friends, so sort of sending him out into the world felt like a good step. And then we started looking at Mr Smith goes to Washington and Mr Deeds goes to town and go, yeah, you send him out into the world with these values and see how they, how they will withstand the kind of onslaught of reality. And that felt like a great journey for Paddington to sort of try and hold on to his decency and his kindness in a, in a cynical world. And then, then once you've got that backbone there's sort of something to hold on to, and that was a huge breakthrough for us, I think. Paul was yeah. very intent on it not being um, a remake of the first film, and the obvious thing would to, you know, once he had made up with Mr. Brown, as it were, um, there was nowhere for that relationship. I mean, there's a place for it to go, but you couldn't repeat that. You couldn't have, again have him falling out and Mr. Brown being nervous about Paddington. 
So I had to look for new Yeah, challenges. we suppose that's the community. We sort of thought the family would never think that Pennington was guilty, you know. So that's really why we, we as well, we had that sort of community that could go, you know, this, this person who does them all these favours and does nice things to them sent to prison. And we thought they'd be a good people to go sort of, Did, is he guilty? Did mm. he do it? And, and for them to come round at the end, that was a nice sort of top and tail. Because yeah, there is that, it's another sort of sequel pitfall, isn't it, of going, the characters being knocked on the head and they're back to where they were. You go, well, I paid good money to see the first film and I don't <laughs> want to see that journey again. I want, to see, I want to see the next chapter of it. And this felt like a way of, of doing that. And the other aspect, which was very different, was as opposed to having the baddie come from without, um, Paul and Simon were, you know, sort of created a character in Hugh who was from within. It's the snake in the grass. Mm. And also someone could, Paddington could butt up against earlier, uh, just so that we, we, he's really good at sort of pricking pomposity. And he's so sort of earnest and sincere and, and decent, and he, there's no subterfuge to Paddington at all. So that's really where we started thinking about uh, you know, a, a performer and a, and a liar and somebody who's all, all face and no, and no truth and, and then sort of the, the character emerged. I was just curious, um, Phoenix, I can work out where that might come from as, as part of the name. Buchanan, is that Jack Buchanan? Is it something to do with Jack Buchanan or Bandstand? No, it was really... Uh, <laughs> the, name, the name was... He was originally called Phoenix Barr. After the Phoenix that, Bar. No, after the Phoenix Bar uh, uh, <laughs> night spot. Anyone, anyone know it? <laughs> Any, it's under the anyone? Phoenix Theatre, and it's sort of an artist bar that we used to frequent. We, went, we thought it really made us laugh that he was called Phoenix. Well, we bar. thought Phoenix was good because he wants to rise from the flames, sort yeah. of thing. And we had this idea that he was going to call his show "The Phoenix Gets Up Again" because he's not quite oh, yes. smart enough to come up with the Phoenix Rises. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it just got all a bit complicated, and then we had to come up with the surname just because Paddington doesn't call people Phoenix; he'd say Mister, you know, all the time. And so then we thought Bar with a double R. And we quite like the idea that he was very Scottish, but in a very un-Scottish way, but owns half of Aberdeenshire. You know, one of those people mm. goes, of course, I'm totally Scotch. Yes. Three in his Scotch. house, he's, there's a big portrait of him with a kilt on, with his yeah. foot on a rock. And yeah. That, yeah, but yeah. It's that quite rakishly that. high, that kilt. Is it? Yeah, it really it's creeps up the thigh. <laughs> <laughs> with the exposing muscled sort of legs. Yeah. But there is a precedent in the Pannington books. There's a, an actor called, is it Cecily Bloom? Yeah. And there's a really funny story where Pennington goes to the theatre for the first time and he doesn't really understand what the theatre is. And at the interval, he goes backstage and has a word with the actor for behaving very badly. <laughs> and the guy's going, well, it's just a play. And he's going, well, there's no need to behave so rudely towards that poor woman. <laughs> to change the way the play went in the second half, which we really like the idea of, you know, coming up against this person going, what are you talking about? Well, let's change the direction of where this comes in. Let's have some questions from you, please. Um, there'll be a couple of microphones around, if anybody's got. There's one right down the front here, one on the end as well. Anybody up there? Hello, my name is Martin James Hussey. I'm 50 and I am autistic. Who does Paddington teach people about accepting Learning disabilities, respecting difference. Well, I, I think Paddington's extremely good at teaching people to accept difference. And I think that's one of the, the great qualities of the character. And, and one of, I, I hope, the, the most important lesson of the film, really, that uh, Paddington is entirely uh, 
indifference to our appearance or background or age or even personality. He, I like, even with Knuckles, who's rude and abrasive, Paddington looks for the good in him. And it's a very sort of simple, uh, naive, uh, optimistic outlook on the world, and one that I think we could use an awful lot more of in, in the world in general. Uh, it, it sort of feels like we're in a very sad time for finding differences and finding ways of dividing ourselves into tribes and groups and people who spot the difference. And for people, someone to spot the similarity feels about the most important thing you could say in the world right now. Could you move the microphone just along there? And there's somebody up here I saw with a hand. Um, yeah. Did you get... Yeah. Um, did you get different characters for? Did you get a different character for Jonathan because he looked different, or was it just? Oh, old? he's just and grown up. He's <laughs> so tall now. And, and also, did you in the middle do horrible histories? <laughs> <laughs> Am I in the middle. Um, that's the best question I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, that's me. I can confirm that, that is me. Uh, um, yes, uh, well, well spotted. Um, hi, my name is Tiva and Daphne. And um, we were wondering if uh, Paddington was green screened or not. Uh, he's not. No, he's not. He's all. Uh, he's, he's a mixture of lots of people's great talents. Uh, ben Wishaw does the voice, and a company called Framestore do the visual effects. And uh, I really, uh, I think I can speak on behalf of David, who's done all of the Harry Potter films and a lot of visual effects films, and they really are the best visual effects I've ever seen in a film. There's a shot in, in there where a single tear rolls down his snout, mm -hmm. and I just think, I think that's the best visual effect shot I've ever seen. There's not an... E one cell of my being, and I watched all thousand versions of it, where, where I don't believe it's entirely real and my heart goes out to him, and it's a true miracle. It really is the best work I've ever seen, so we're very grateful to them. My father came to see the premiere, he's, he's 89, and halfway through the film he turned to me and said, is that a real bear? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you said yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, because I thought it was. This is, this is all new to me. Okay. Anybody else? Everybody says no. Not a single question. Yes, two. Hi. Uh, I was wondering how far you go to um, storyboarding like and all the sequences with Paddington, uh, do you guys approach, because you know, the movie, you know, luckily I mean, we have Paddington in most of the movie, and like in other movies, you know, the main character is not all the time there, yeah. uh, for, you know, monetary reasons. Uh, so do you guys kind of storyboard, you know, for the actors and for the visual effects, and of course for, for shooting all the, all the parts in which Paddington appears? I mean, yes. It's, no. Where, where Paddington's in it? 
Uh, well, I would say that you, you may, but you veer from those storyboards yes. quite liberally. We, we start we start with it and then <laughs> explore. But we do. I mean, there is a storyboard process yeah. to to break down the scenes to figure out how many shots there are, and also because any time he's interacting with something, there's you know there's a sort of process to go. Well, who, how do we open this door? Who squirts this ketchup bottle? How? So there's kind of so there's things there, but then you do have to let it all go on set immediately when you you realize that the scene's going another way yeah. uh, i mean in a, in a way it's it's a beginning i mean one of the things about visual effects is you can you can approach it in two ways you can be a slave to it or you can have it work for you and paul has it understands it very well and understands for example with storyboards that they're really good for example for working out budgets so you can figure out roughly how many shots visual effects you have shots you have in a scene as you would say, as Paul said, sort of the practical elements, if you need ketchup or, or there's any interaction, how you're going to do that. But Paul is so, um, while he prepares as intensely and with as much detail as anybody I've worked with, at the same time, he's open to the moment, you know, just sort of the, the way he improvises with Hugh, is, is the way he improvises with all the actors, uh, sees a shot, wants to try it another way. And so too with the visual effects. So it's a, it's an anchor, I suppose. It's a safety net, and it's a beginning. But it is a beginning, and it's not just, by the way, it's how it sh you shoot it, and then in the post production, a bear can come in from a different place. Mm. There can be a completely different element that comes in that has no bearing, um, or is, is not related to the, to the storyboards at all. Why did the body have so many wigs? <laughs> I, I didn't think he had a great many wigs. Um, to me, that seemed quite normal. Uh, hair is very, very important. Um, it's been the basis of my entire career. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Emma, and I was wondering in the scene when Mr. Brown, he, he was on the train and his legs were wide apart, how many times did you have to shoot that before you got it perfect? Well, Hugh is a very limber yeah. performer. Uh, he's amazing. He's, he's releasing a Chakrabatics video <laughs> in a couple of weeks as a tie-in with Paddington 2. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot of takes, uh, and the gentleman with the legs, uh, the gentleman providing the leg work, was uh, was very impressive. So, so just one second, just to be, just to maybe it's obvious, but there is a top half and a bottom half. So the bottom half, I know it's shocking, but alas, <laughs> is not Hugh <laughs> Grant. I know it's not Hugh Bonneville. It, it's a, we we, we support Paul search long and wide for the right yoga in yogini. That it is actually. I think I didn't know any of this. Uh, I think he was at the premiere, the, the yoga man. Yes, right? he was. Yes, because he got drunk and started doing contortions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he said, I said, well, what do you do? He said, I'm a contortionist. I, go, I said, go on, then do one. And he did one. I said, more. <laughs> and he tied himself into a knot about this big. <laughs> He's absolutely amazing. amazing. Yeah. Did you then make him dance? <laughs> no, but I had quite a serious acting conversation with him while he's had his ankles <laughs> round his neck. 
right up the middle. When you're doing a scene with Paddington and several of the actors, is Ben Wishaw there reading his lines, or do you play them in, or do you imagine them? Sorry, I can't see where you are. I could hear all right the voice. Oh, hello. I'm sorry. I just didn't want to look randomly at somebody <laughs> else. Um, no, we, um, so we rehearsed with Ben, um, and that was, I would say, hugely advantageous because uh, last time we, we, we swapped the voice sort of halfway through post-production, which was sort of quite, quite a tricky process. But having Ben there from the start was hugely useful. And we'd rehearsed with him a lot. I mean, he's not there every day on set because uh, it would be a, a huge waste of his time and, uh, and, you know, I suspect prohibitively expensive if we're going to be honest about the price of sort of movie stars. But um, we do have a brilliant actor called Gus Brown who's very funny and very good, and he sort of channels... Ben on the set and one of the things uh, it was very new for me obviously the first time I did this and, and and we did try sort of a bit of playback and you just go but there's no spontaneity and there's no rhythm and there's nothing to direct and you sort of go for, like David says trying not to be a slave to the technology you do want to be able to keep it loose and discover things on the day and you know you think of lines when you're in the set and you think of jokes because there's a prop there that you'd never imagined or you know all of that sort of business and you want to do faster ones and slower ones and more emotional ones and sort of try and find it so he's great at giving the actors something to bounce off because i think one of the great challenges is for all of the performers but especially those with a lot of scenes with with um paddington is do you have to keep his performance in mind and, and there's very little to work from and i think some of the some of the performances that people do are breathtaking, you know, and it's sometimes only as we uh, start putting the bear in that you realise they're responding to something you hadn't imagined. Mm -hmm. Sally especially is, is quite uncanny that you sort of go, there's a funny little eye flick that she does. And, I, and then you suddenly realise as you build the Paddington performance, she's way ahead of you and she's responding to something she had in her head that you'd never sort of quite figured out. And so I think it does require real skill to be able to imagine not only your performance, but somebody else's, especially when you, know, you haven't even seen it. It's slightly different if you've done a wide and you've got into it, and then you're acting to a bit of tape on the map box. That sort of feels like that's one thing, but you can probably remember it, that we're really having to imagine it. And I spent a lot of time on my knees, which sounds creepy, but isn't meant in that way. It's sort of just sort of uh, you know, trying to be Paddington and sort of uh, help people understand what he might be doing. And, and Paul also plays Paddington sometimes when Gus is around. He, he is the voice. And actually through many, you know, because we're making, he's making changes all along the way, Paul is the voice of Paddington for some of the screenings that we have of, of, of the film. And he's a really good Paddington. Yes, you did. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> I'm trying to look impressive here and not like a short, bumbling idiot. <laughs> Paul's, also, Paul's also spent time in uh, Portobello Prison. Doesn't, doesn't like to talk about that. <laughs> Any more questions? Yes. That is very useful. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. You've um, already touched upon this a bit, but you know, you've talked about how um, 
Paddington always finding the, the good in people and, and tolerating people is, is obviously key to his story. And, you know, unfortunately, <coughs> the situation in the world means that there's, uh, you know, a lot going against that sort of worldview at the moment. Um, and obviously, Peter Capaldi's character sort of is, is that voice, that, that intolerant voice. Did, did you... Was, was there a careful balance thinking about whether you wanted uh, more of that in the film? Because obviously it is important to uh, the character of, 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 of Paddington, but at the same time, this is an entertaining kids' film. I mean, I think he's pretty funny, uh, Peter. I, he's, so I don't sort of find that it fights the, the comedy of it. He really makes me laugh a lot. The bit where he, he did a bit in the ADR that really when he, he's chasing the dog away <laughs> and does, and he's so funny and inventive. Like, a lot of it comes from him. He's very good improviser, obviously, as we all know. But when he just goes barking without a license in a built-up area, <laughs> and you go, that is the most ridiculous <laughs> thing to get across with a dog for. So he's, and then you go, I'll ticket you. And I could, we always just talked about how funny it would be if he just slapped a ticket on the side <laughs> of the dog. Um, so I think there's a kind of, hopefully there's a humour to it. But also, I suppose, it was important... Uh, it felt important not to kind of have everyone sort of around the Christmas tree being tra-la-la and joyful at the end and sort of go, there are always going to be challenges for Paddington. There's always going to be some people who don't, you know, come round. But, um, you, you know, I, I think he's... Uh, hopefully he doesn't sort of toxify it for, for a family audience. I think he's pretty silly, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I think we'd have had more of him if we had room, but it's a very yeah. full film. You know, we got like the community, and we got all the prisoners, <coughs> and we got the Phoenix Strand, and and in a way, it was sort of, it was sort of quite. You didn't feel it wanted to be a sort of three and a half hour epic, so you sort of, it was more sort yeah. of just little. A little goes a long way, was the hope. I mean, it's sort of people go, did he sort of represent Brexit or something? But it's not. We didn't really, we really didn't have that in mind. He was just, no. he's a classic busybody. Yeah. We really liked the idea that he'd made himself this community police officer. And that was just a comedic idea for us. And, and his board. His board. Was his very board early. Was a, a bit more, yeah. Yeah, we did have a scene where he went, I've raised the neighbourhood panic level to extremely jittery. He had his board like and it started off as normal, you know, and then he moved it. <laughs> if there'd been a bit of argy-bargy in the community and he moved it and we had all these... I can't remember what, what, what were some of the other ones. Yeah. Mild, uh, very jittery. Jittery was one then. Jittery, Ma extremely jittery, yeah. And then... Uh, slight uh, panic. Slight panic. <laughs> and then wild hysteria, which is the one that got yeah. in, in the, in the final made it. scene. Yeah. <laughs> OK, we might have kind of time for one more question. For anybody's... Yes, gentleman, yellow shirt up there. <laughs> All right, so uh, in amongst many of the positives in this film, um, it has some superb slapstick work. So I'm really curious as to how you script that and how you put it together. Um, because it, it's something I can't really... I can imagine writing a script or, or improvising <laughs> comedy, but how you put together something with that detail that has a lot of effects work in it as well, I'd love to know how you do that. With incredible difficulty. Yeah, it's insanely difficult, which is very unfunny responses, yeah. I think. We, so we do... We Obviously, we start on the page and sort of try to think of things that would be funny, but then we... Uh, work uh, a lot with these two people. Um, Javier Marzin is our sort of 
resident clown. It's a great We thing. literally hire clowns to do uh, that. He's an amazing sort of physical comedian, Spanish guy, and he is also very inventive, and he works... He was in a company called People Like Us back in the day, if anyone ever saw that, uh, that theatre company, who were directed by somebody called Cal McChrystal, who worked with Noel Fielding back in the day, and, and taught me to direct, and he was sort of my <coughs> assistant. It was my first job. And so they're brilliant physical comedians, and but the difficulty is there is no Paddington. So, so we workshop with them for, I mean, weeks. <laughs> and then you forget it in the animation. Then when Paddington arrives, you realize none of it works. And it all has to be done again and again and again. And, and it's one of those things. It sort of feels very natural. But all of those Paddington shots in the whole film are version 300, 400. I mean, it's, it's so relentlessly labor-intensive. Mm. But the slapstick bits are the absolute <coughs> hardest bits to do because it's the difference between funny and not funny is so minute and you sort of go, I mean, something like The Barbers, we literally started work on that in January and we finished it the week before the film came out and it's, it was... It was 12 minutes long at one point. <laughs> then we uh, narrowed it down. But it Paul just... is still working on it. <laughs> yeah. There's still a better cut in there somewhere. But, but even things like, even once we'd found the performance and this is the visual effects line, the way the fur moves, like when he's, it is so complicated and you sort of go, so you sit there going, well, should we try putting a different way that, through it? That was so scary because yeah. actually there was a moment where there was one shot where he turned on the razor and his skin and fur started to move up. Yeah. That was the, and literally that was in September or halfway through October actually. Yeah. yeah. And we went, it was, it was a moment, I just remember, yeah. oh, God, it might work, and then it adheres, which is nice. They're just hard to the logic. Kids, funny enough, are the best at sniffing out. They sort of go, why did he pull that thing? He wouldn't have pulled that thing. Like, you have to have the logic. It has to be really sort of mm. precise, because you can sniff out the untruth in there, you know, if it's just for that he falls on his arse, you know, that you can sniff it out, and you go, oh, I wouldn't do that. So it's quite like the bathroom scene in the, fir mm. in the first film. And also, we didn't. We never want him thing. to be a klutz, which no. is the, I always find the least funny of all characters when you're walking along the street and fall over. <laughs> what was, what's that all about? It's so hard to laugh. And Paddington's yeah. quite dexterous, and it always felt like well, he's he's a climber and he's a bear and he's he's not physically inept, but he's a fish out of water. So you sort of <coughs> need to earn every little. But you know, he's probably never done that with scissors, and he hasn't got. So you can sort of just about get away with that. And he doesn't know. You know, he probably knows what a razor is. He might see Mr. Brown use it, but he's not you know, probably engaged with one for, and it's sort of finding all those things. I told you it'd be not funny, and it really was <laughs> as well, dry as an old biscuit. Did fight. you expect a hilarious answer? <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> We're so needy. Was that okay? <laughs> Very final question then, just before. Hugh, of your many um, guises in this film, which was your favorite? Well, uh, I went to an all-boys school and played entirely female roles from the age of nine to 17. Um, so it was very nice to be back uh, <laughs> where I really feel I'm most comfortable, in the, in the, in the nun's costume. Yeah. Thank you very much yeah. indeed, David, Hugh, Simon, Paul.